I'm continuing in our series that we've titled 66 Love Letters. And we started back the first Sunday of June, and uh, we kind of dove in to uh, the book of Genesis, and we've been jogging our way through. Uh, we'll finish up over the next two weeks, this week and next week, the Old Testament. Labor Day weekend, I'll kind of do a bridge kind of message, if you will. And then September 9th, we'll go full throttle on looking at the New Covenant. And so we're going to go through the, the entire Bible, which again, we're just kind of a uh, uh, bouncing along a little bit. You can't go real deep, but I think there's a lot of depth in what we've been talking about. But we're going to cover the Bible and we'll finish it up by December. And so it's, it's been a fun time. So today we're looking at Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah. Now we live in a fallen world. Sin has royally jacked everything up for all of us. Reality is it disrupted humanity at every level. Ever since the fall of man in the garden, the scripture says that through the Adamic Adam bloodline, it kind of leaked down and dripped into all of us. And so we were born into the world sinners. We were born into the world battling issues. When you study Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, even Micah, we'll get to him. But what you'll find is this. They lived in very evil, dark days. Evil, dark days. And pretty much everywhere they went, they noticed that there was incredible compromise, both spiritually and culturally. You ever feel the struggle yourself? Everywhere you go, everywhere you look, it seems to be, no matter if it's a conversation or just observing culture at large, man, why is there so much corruption? Why is there so much darkness? Why is there so much compromise in our world? And, and for some of us, we walk in here today, and we beat ourselves up pretty greatly because of the poor choices that we've made in our own lives. We find ourselves still battling through the reality of the dark room that we've created for ourselves. And we're wondering, is there hope? Is there any light and love that can penetrate the darkness that I find myself in? Anybody ever struggle through that? Yeah. And so when you start to look at the evil and the darkness and the corruption, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, they speak to that. And I just want to read a couple of verses, and then I want to land in Micah with you today. But all of us battle darkness. All of us battle corruption. All of us battle evil. All of us battle wickedness around us. Listen to what Nahum says. The Lord is good. He's a strong refuge when trouble comes. The Lord's good. Even in the midst of wickedness and evil, I can tell you this. God is a strong refuge. Habakkuk chapter 3 says, though the fig trees may not blossom and no grapes be hanging on the vine and all the flocks may die in the field, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The Lord, the sovereign Lord is my strength. Nahum says, hey, God is our refuge. He's our shelter. God is for us. He's an ever-present help for us in times of trouble. Habakkuk goes, God is our strength. You, you can find power in your God. 
And then Zephaniah will close with a powerful Zephaniah song during our worship time today. Zephaniah 3, he says, the Lord your God is living among you. He's mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with singing. God is our refuge. God is our strength. Our God is a mighty, a mighty El Gabor God. He's able to save. And so all of us come in here today, again, battling the highs and lows and the ebbs and flows of life. Richard contacted me Wednesday morning, and uh, one of the guys that coached the team, our boys, was on years ago, 46-year-old guy, just bam, heart attack, dies at the age of 46, leaving a beautiful wife and a couple of young kids behind. My friend Julie, her dad, Jimmy, had such great influence in my life. Julie was married. Her husband had coached up in Tacoa for years. He had taken a job down in Harris County as athletic director and assistant principal and was jogging on the track late Thursday, collapses, 50 years old, and he dies. And a lot of you come in here today and you've gone through pressures and pain and I believe you're looking for hope and healing and you're wanting to believe that the light of the gospel is available to you. And I want you to know it is. God is our refuge. Jesus said, come to me, all you are tired, weary, and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. God is our refuge. He's our hiding place. God is our strength. He said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's strength. But our God is able to save. And so no matter what you're going through today, I want you to know that the mighty Savior is available for you. Now, I want to focus your attention just on the book of Micah, if you will. And I'm going to shrink it down really just to one verse in Micah. And I highly encourage you when I get here, I want you to memorize this verse. I want you to know it, and I want it to become a part of your DNA. Now, here's what I would say. Micah lived in a very dark time. And Micah speaks out against the injustice that was happening in Israel. Micah lived about 25 miles outside of Jerusalem. And as he looked at Jerusalem, and as he looked at Israel at large, he was rebuking the injustice that he saw. He he was sick of the way that even people in leadership and people in high places of spiritual leadership, how they were treating the poor and the needy. He was sick of the corrupt business dealings. Women and children at that time had very little dignity, but the way they were being treated was even awful. And so Micah is speaking out saying, there's so much injustice, we've got to clean this up. And we see injustice around us every day. Let me give you a working definition. Injustice is the hurtful attitudes and actions that are carried out by human beings and even human systems that devalue others that have been made in the image of God. Injustice is looking at An individual, whether it's a group of people, a color of a people, a socioeconomic uh, status group of people, whether they voted one way or another group of people, and it's starting to devalue them. Injustice. And Micah goes, God is is warning y'all to get your lives right. You can't treat people like that. And honor God. So he pins in Micah 6 8. I want you to know this verse, Micah 6 8. What is good? 
And what does the Lord require of you, O man? I want you to think about this. I want you to personalize this. What's good? What does the Lord require of you? This is what he says. I want you to do just and right when it comes to dealing with other people. I want you to love kindness and mercy. And I want you to walk humbly with your God. Nobody modeled this like Master Jesus. Nobody. But the call on our lives today, I want you to get it. The call on each and every one of our lives today. What's good? What does God applaud? What is required? I want you you to do just and right. I want you to extend love, kindness, and mercy. I want you to walk humbly. So a deep commitment of the heart, resolved to honor and obey God, will change the way your attitude is. I want you to do what is just. The word justice there, Hebrew and Greek, when you study it, it means I want you to listen I want you to listen to all the facts and gain as much information as you can, and then I want you to give the right, proper decision. I want you to do what is just. I use an acrostic called LIPS, L-I-P-S. I've had people tell me, it's like, hey, I sat down to talk to you, and you just typed away and listened and typed away and listened, and you didn't say anything, and then you said something. I was like, yeah. I wanted to hear as much information. I was trying to gain as much information before I spoke because I don't believe you speak when spoken to. I believe you speak when spoken through. Big difference. But I was telling this friend this week, I said, I use an acrostic lips, L-I-P-S, L-I-P-S. Listen. Listen. Inquire. Ask pointed questions. Process. Pray it up. Then Share. You don't listen and share. You don't assume and share. Lips. Listen. Inquire. Process it. Then share. What is it that God says is required? What is good? That you do what is just and right? That you honor your fellow brother and sister? And then he says... Here's what I want you to do. I want you to love with kindness. Love. Agapeo, agape. Unconditionally, sacrificially. Lay your life down. I want you to love with kindness. Some of the translations use the word loving kindness 240 times in the Old Testament. The word loving kindness is mentioned. But the word love, listen, listen, listen. Love means doing that which is most redemptive for the other person. If you're going to live out agape, it means that I'm willing to do what is most redemptive for you. Now, sometimes love is firm and harsh almost as it comes across. But if it's doing what is most redemptive for the other person, it's not letting you off the hook. I want to love you with kindness and mercy. Kindness and mercy. The word mercy and kindness there means I want you to extend compassion and kindness I want you to extend compassion and grace to those living in misery. 
I want you to love with kindness. I want you to extend compassion to those who are living in misery. He goes, what is good? What does God applaud, Matt? Well, what is required by God uh, to do just and right? To love with kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Humility. Humility. James says, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Paul would write in Philippians 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but with humility regard others as more important than yourself. Don't be arrogant. Don't be cocky. Don't be proud. Crucify that. Walk with humility. Humility is not to think less of yourself. It's to think of yourself less, as C.S. Lewis would say it. I'm not going to think less of myself. I'm not going to beat myself up. But I can think of myself less as I walk in the fullness of who God's made me to be. What does God want you to do? In the midst of darkness and evil and oppression, he's your refuge. He's your hiding place. He's your strength. He's able to save. What does he require as we do life in this broken, fallen world? Paul would write a similar statement to Timothy in his pastoral epistle, 1 Timothy 1. He's like, Timothy, don't, don't, don't miss this. The goal, the target that we're shooting at, the goal of our instruction is to love. Love. <laughs> you got to love people, brother. Do it with a pure heart. Do it with a good conscience, man. Do it with sincere faith. Kind of sounds like Micah 6.8, does it not? What does God require? I want to see you love people. The Cross Loganville desires to be a place where the love and the kindness and the mercy of God is extended to the least of these. As we do back-to-school outreaches and as we do a variety of ministry, we have a heart for the oppressed, for the hurting. We desire to see restoration with every person that walks on this campus. I met a guy uh, about 18 years ago. I met a guy by the name of Sal. And we were having uh, our living room painted and some things. And my buddy Randy was doing the painting. And he brought this dude, uh, Sal, over. I was like, uh, what's your name? He goes, my name's Sal. I'm like, Sal, where are you from? He thick Cajun accent from New Orleans, Louisiana. So Sal and I started talking. I'm like, Sal, how long you been here? And he's like, about three years. Where are you living, Sal? I'm living at the Quint house, halfway house, cash over in uh, Lawrenceville. How'd you get in that place? Well, as much drugs and alcohol and hell raising as I did, man. I surrendered my life to Christ here about a year or two ago, and I'm trying to get my life right. I said, come on, Sal. So we started hanging out with Sal, and he stayed there all week. And once the job was completed... I didn't see Sal. About five years later, I'm at a Christian bookstore. I walk in, and all of a sudden, I'm like, Sal, what's up? And it's one of those faces and one of those accents you don't forget. Started talking to Sal. I had given Sal some books. He was wanting to study more about his faith journey. And I was like, it's so, it's so cool, Sal. Great to see you. And then, no, no lie, about five years ago, I walk out into the cafe area, and I'm talking to a few guys, and the door opens, and I'm like, Sal, what are you doing here? He's like, brother, man, I heard you were preaching here and wanted to come check it out. Sal comes in, 
Sounds broke as a joke. A 1978 Corolla he was driving that was wired together with electrical wiring. Just looked like an extension cord. But anyway, he had wheels. All of a sudden, Sal starts hanging with us. And before you know it, Sal was diagnosed with cancer. Man, Sal started looking bad. He started going through this jaundice look or whatever. And he needed help. And Lisa, who was in our church, Lisa worked for an attorney. And Lisa goes, we're going to help Sal. And she made sure all his uh, benefits and everything were covered. And I was like, yes. Sal started tanking. They gave him a couple months to live, man. Sal, you're not going to be here long, brother. I mean, our people in this church reached out to Sal, rallied around Sal, fed Sal, took care of Sal. And Sal, uh, how many kids you got? He mentioned the three or four kids. Sal, Sal, when's the last time you saw your kids? About 20 years ago. Sal, Sal, where are your kids? The best that you can remember, where are they? They're somewhere down in New Orleans. And a guy takes him and said, let's go to New Orleans. He goes down and he's able to re-enter with a couple of those kids. By the time they get back, Sal, man, it's not looking good. You're tanking quick. We found a place, and the place was willing to work with us, and we put Sal in a hospice care because we wanted to see Sal die with dignity, and Sal dies. He don't have no insurance policies. He ain't got no family. He, he's broke. Even if we sold the car, I mean, we would just be trying. I mean, come on. Sal, we, we, we got you. Called a funeral home, Lord and Stevens, that I work with over in Athens. They're so gracious to work with. Call them, hey man, I got this dude, here's what's going on, Tim, we'll take care of him. We have a memorial for Saul, we tell our people, we're, we're going we're gonna to throw a party and celebrate Saul's life. Because his story mattered. His story mattered. And we had about 75 people on a Sunday afternoon come here. People in our fellowship, people that had loved on Saul, people that had encouraged those Saul. People stood up and spoke words of blessing about Sal. It's like, man, it's so cool. I love this church. I love the heart our people have for the oppressed. And I said, guys, here's the deal. It's $1,000 for a cremation. Dude's working with me on that one. That's a pretty good price. Anybody wants to help out, open up the wallet. I'm in. Let's make sure we can cover Sal's cremation and whatever. Just set a bucket here. We finished that little memorial time. There were $3,000 in that bucket, 1000 to pay for that. I'm like, what are we going to do with the other 2000 It's like Sal, he lived in homeless shelters, and Sal lived in poverty and pain, man, going to mission to mission. Why don't we take that 2000 and let it be the first initial seed that we pour into our kitchen to feed people? So the first ever donation made to our kitchen, we made in the honor of Sal. What does God require? What is good? And and I think it's so easy to see the pain and the difficulties in people's lives and to almost feel heartbreak for a minute and then just walk on by. Yeah, man, it's going to cost me way too much time, and it could cost me too much getting involved in this dude's life. That's not who we are. 
We, we have a God that was willing to lay aside deitic privileges, Jesus, take on a robe of flesh and identify with humanity and enter into people's pain. And I can promise you with all my heart, if you're willing to take a stand to fight the injustice in your world, your God will give you enough strength and enough love and enough resources to meet whatever assignment he calls you to. I'm not an expert when it comes to this, but I can tell you that we're called to love neighbor. We're called to extend compassion to neighbor. And for me personally and for our leadership and for our church, doing nothing is not an option. Sitting around doing nothing is not acceptable. The last sermon ever preached by Dr. King at Ebenezer, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. And he goes off and he says, when you, you did it to the least of these, Jesus said, you did it to me. And we've got to have a heart for whoever. Spencer, when you picked Terry up and brought him here to church that first time because you gave him a ride in the rain, Terry is locked in with us. Whose story matters more? They all matter the same. Doing nothing is not an option. It's not okay. Here, here's something I would challenge you with. Evaluate your lifestyle. Seriously, ask the Holy Spirit to turn on the searchlight on you, but evaluate your lifestyle. Look at your resources. What advantages do you have that can be leveraged for the sake of the kingdom? Where do you see someone else hurting? Who are the oppressed in your life? What can you do to be a blessing to someone today, this week? Evaluate your lifestyle. And, and, and I believe it's awesome that all of us could pray this, God, please give me clear vision and a pure heart. Sin jacked us up. It blurred our vision and gave us a hard heart. God, help us to see people the way you see people. Help us to love people the way you love people. Lord, give me compassionate eyes, tender eyes. Lord, I want to see like you see. I want to love like you love. We've got to crucify the selfishness inside of us. Here, here's a, let, me, let, me, let me say this. Please change the names and labels that you put on people. As soon as you put a name or a label on that person, it determines how you think about them, what you talk about them, what you say about them, how you act toward them. Uh, you know, you remember old Joe we went to school with, right? Yeah, he's a thug. No, he's a drunk. He's a loser. He's a druggie. He's a head. He's a, really? Dude over there is trash, man. The chick's trash. She's an idiot. She's, as soon as you put a label or name on them, injustice starts to well up inside of the heart. Does injustice dwell in me? Do I have a better than mindset? Do I devalue any person or any people group? 
Is there hate in my heart? Do I think I'm better? God has told you, oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Now, back to Martin Luther King Jr. He lived out Micah 6, 8 in a very powerful way. He was focused on a nonviolent movement. And his nonviolent movement was directed against evil systems, dark forces, oppressive policies, and unjust acts. When you go back and study some 50 plus years ago, what was he about? We're going to fight against evil systems, dark forces, oppression, and unjust acts. What people group fell underneath that? All, all colors fell underneath that. He would have people that wanted to walk with him and march with him and rally with him. He would have them sign an agreement and a petition before they could join him. Listen to this right here. I pledge myself, my person and body, to the nonviolent movement. Therefore, I will keep the following commands. Listen, listen to these. Listen. Because many of us don't know these. Many of us have never studied these. M many of us are not aware. I was a little school boy when segregation and all that stuff started going down. I, I, I remember it. We're not aware of how faithful to the Lord his daddy was, how he was radically impacted on his trip to Israel, over to Germany, studying 1517, the Great Reformation, how he comes back to the States and changes the name of him and his son from Michael and Michael Jr. because what he saw with the great reformer Martin Luther, he knew God had a call on their lives to fight against oppression, injustice. I'm going to change your names to Martin Luther King and Martin Luther King Jr. You're going to be a part of this nonviolent movement. You've got to sign this with me. Listen, listen to this. Number one, I will meditate on the teachings and life of Jesus daily. Did you know that that great move that started some 50 plus years ago, you're going to be a part of what we're doing. You're going to meditate daily on the life and teachings of Jesus. That's right. Because he was the epitome of nonviolence, but yet justice, love, mercy, and humility. Number two, remember always that the nonviolent movement seeks justice and reconciliation, not victory. We want to see justice. We, we want to see reconciliation. Three, we will walk and talk in a manner worthy of love because God is love. Four, I will pray daily to be used by God in order that all men might be free. I will sacrifice personally Every day, even my personal wishes, in order that all men might be free. Yes. I will observe with both friend and foe the ordinary rules of just common courtesy. 
I will refrain from the violence of fist, of tongue, and of heart. I will strive to be in good spiritual and bodily health. I thought, what an amazing appeal. I remember as a young boy, some of the harsh statements that were made against Dr. King. I remember some of the harsh, degrading, devaluing statements. How many of us would be willing to sign that today to say, I'll live that? His proclamation and declaration transcends the pigmentation of your skin. I will study, I will learn, and I will focus on the teachings of Yeshua Jesus. I will live a life of love. I will seek reconciliation and justice. I'll lay aside the tongue, the fist, and the wicked heart. God wants to see other people free, I'll give up personal wishes. Would you sign that? Would you make that your declaration today? What does God require of you? Micah 6, 8. What is good? Faith without action is dead. Faith that has no feet is dead. You will know them. You'll know them. You'll know who my disciples are, Tim. By what they hate. No, no, no. You'll know my disciples by what they stand against. No, you'll know my disciples because of their love for one another. To do nothing is not an option. One of my favorite movies that I've watched here in the last year was based on the storyline of one of my favorite books. Same, kind of different as me. It's written by Ron Hall and Denver Moore. Debbie Hall, she had this dream. She had this vision of the Lord where she saw a homeless man that was hurting, that was lost, that was confused, that was devastated. And she felt like she had to do something. She started serving at a homeless mission, a shelter down in Texas to fight injustice. Her husband, Ron, was a wealthy art dealer. He was unfaithful in the marriage to Debbie. He had jacked it up multiple ways. He gets caught. He ends up confessing his sin. She's willing to stay with him and work it out. And she pretty much forces him to go down to the mission and start to serve with her. Ron, while serving at the mission, ends up meeting a guy by the name of Denver Moore, the man specifically that was in Debbie's vision and dream. He's an ex-con homeless dude, uneducated, and Denver and Ron strike up an incredible friendship. A few years later, Debbie is diagnosed with colon cancer. She's sick. She's about to die. And before she died, she had one final wish. One of us has sweet memories of this. She told her husband, "Don't 
Forget about Denver. Don't let him go. God has something special in store. Say a few words. For you so without further ado, for those of you who may not know him, this is the man of Debbie's dream, Denver Moore. I never met Miss Debbie. Miss Debbie met me. I didn't want to know Miss Debbie or any other wild woman for that matter. But ever since I know her, Miss Debbie want to be my friend. I'm sure she was friend to every soul in here. I still ain't figure out why she wanna know a fellow like me. There sure ain't been nothing to be proud of. I was captive, that was prison most of my life. Many folks seen me there lock up and pass me by. I don't blame them. I was not nice, dangerous, and probably just as happy to stay in prison. She was different. She sent me behind them bars and reached way down in her pocket and pulled out the key God gave her to set me free. She's the only person to love me enough not to give up. Now I stand here. It changed me. It freed me. I just spent a lot of time worrying. I was different from other people, even all the homeless folk. And then after I met Miss Debbie and Mr. Roan, I worried I was so different from them that we were never gonna have no kind of future. But what I found out was, everybody's different. Same kind different as me. We all regular folks walking down the street God done set in front of us. Miss Debbie, she's a whole nother kind different. Miss Debbie, she dream of a better place for the homeless. And I ain't talking about heaven now. I'm talking about right here in Yorkstown. Now I'm going to pick up Miss Debbie's torch and I'm going to carry it around. It will make Miss Debbie real happy if you will make her dream come true. And pick up her torch and carry it around too. Now I'm fixing to do something the devil ain't never done for you. I'm gonna cut you loose. But before I do, you can take this with you. 
whether we is rich or whether we is poor or some in between, we is all homeless. Every last one of us just working our way back home. Welcome home, Miss Debbie. Welcome home. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that the Holy Spirit would have complete freedom to move inside of each heart in this room. Lord, as we enter into a time of prayer, into a time of communion, Lord, if there be any injustice inside of our heart, any better than, any devaluing any other human. I pray that the Holy Spirit would confront us right now in a deep way. I pray that we would violently repent of sin, and I pray that we would desire to have our hearts right with you. There's people in this room this morning that some of you need to get up and just go and pray over. There's some in this room that you need to go just speak a word of blessing and encouragement over. Much like Miss Debbie, each and every one of us will breathe our last one day. What did I do with the breath that God had given me? Did I live with eternity as the backdrop? Who will I pass the baton on to regarding the next generation? We're all the same kind of different as me, as the next person. Deep down inside of each of our hearts, there's this longing to be loved, accepted. We want to belong. We really want to believe our story matters. We want to believe somebody loves us enough to love us in spite of us, in spite of our rebellion, our reckless, sinful ways. Somebody to love us enough in spite of our pride and our arrogance and our self-righteous approach. Father, I pray that you would dump and pour down your Holy Spirit right now in a powerful way. Some need to repent. Some need to rejoice. Relationships in here, some need to be mended. Help us to love. Help us to pray. Help us to do what is good and what you require. In Jesus' name.